0: A few months ago, (laughs) I began a series, as you recall. It's the series I'm just growing so fond of. It's the series I'm calling Show Us the Father. The essence of this series has been to take the virtues of the Father, and there's so many of them, but take the ones I can put my arms around and just magnify these virtues magnify the Father's heart. That's what Jesus' life was about. That's what his ministry was all about, magnifying the incontrovertible goodnesses of his Father. And today I'm going to minister the seventh message from this series. As I minister for a little while through a message I'm calling Overwhelmed by the Light of Life. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, and we find these words. I love these words. Look what he says, for he has rescued. Get that in your heart this morning. For he has rescued us. Friends, you'll never have an appreciation for a lifeguard until the lifeguard comes and gets you when you can't swim. He's just another man, she's just another woman sitting on a chair with white paint on their nose and sunglasses, but when you need them and they come and they rescue you when you're flailing in water that's over your head and you're about to go under, then you have an appreciation. And as I meditated on these scriptures yesterday in my quiet time, I thought, Father, how can it be Paul said, for He has rescued us. From what? From the dominion. That is the domain. It literally means the power. It means the grip. It means the influence. He has rescued us from the dominion. Of what? Of darkness. I only like darkness when I'm sleeping. I don't like darkness any other time. I like it dark when I sleep. I don't like darkness any other time. But God sent Jesus to rescue us. It literally means to deliver us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into, I love this part too, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. See, it's one thing to rescue a man. When a lifeguard rescues a person, they just don't just naturally bring into their family. They don't look at you and go, from now on, every Thanksgiving we have, we want you to come and be a part of our family. No, this is their job. They're doing their job. But God did not only just rescue us from the dominion of darkness, the scripture says that he brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, one thing I love about the kingdom of God, there is no darkness in his kingdom. There's no darkness in the Son he loves. And where did the scriptures just tell us he put us? He put us in the sun. He loves where there is no darkness, no shadow of turning, no darkness there. He put us in his son, whom he loves. Well, we all know that God loves his son, don't we? But he has to say it again. My kids know I love them, but every time I see them, I have to hug them and kiss them. And they almost have to peel me off of them because daddy's just being daddy. Come on, mama. Come on, daddy. It's what we do, isn't it? So he's put us into a place where darkness can no longer invade. where are in his son, where darkness does not dwell for even one second. Isn't that beautiful? You've been put in a place where darkness can't reach you anymore. You say, Mark, well, that's good news. That's wonderful news. That means the devil and his cohorts cannot get in where I'm at. That's exactly right. You say, but what if I walk away from the son he loves? Wait a minute. He's given you an undying love for Jesus. The love that he gave me 27 years ago is the same love I have today. Maybe even amplified more. And if it were possible to walk away from that kingdom, the kingdom of the son he loves, if it were possible for you to just have a bad day and walk away from that, guess what? He's coming after you. Isn't Jesus the one said, if a man has a hundred sheep and he loses the one, that he will leave the 99? He's talking about natural things, things on this earth. And he says, look, if an earthly shepherd would do this, if you could walk away from the son that he loves, if you could walk away from that kingdom, I guarantee Jesus would come after you and he wouldn't stop until he found you. It says, the Son is the image. I love this part. This word image means he's the exact representation. He's not a shadow of the Father. A shadow is not an exact representation. You can't always tell things just by the shadow. He's an exact representation of the Father. And where did he put us? He put us in the Son. He loves. That means we are an exact representation of Christ. Isn't this simple? So easy to see, isn't it? And so later on when the disciples would say, Jesus, show us the Father. That's why Jesus would say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father because I'm an exact representation of my Daddy. We look alike, we talk alike, we smell alike. Everything about us is the same. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, look at this. It says, for in him, who's him? It's Jesus. For in him, all things were created. Remember this now. It says, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him, and for him, God's Son was before all else. God's Son existed before everything you see, friends. And by him, everything is held together. One version says, By him, all things consist. That means that Jesus was with God in the beginning. He is, listen, he is by his own words, the light of the world. Did you know that the majority, not all, but the majority, Of totally blind people, they can still perceive light. Totally blind! I find this fascinating. In other words, they can tell the difference if they're in a room that is dark or if there's a light on. Not by how they feel, but there's a perception of light. And that's what it's called. It's called light perception. You could take a totally blind person, many of them, and walk them up to a Christmas tree with flashing lights. And they could tell you if those lights were flashing or not. Don't you find that fascinating? This is the power of light. It transcends human understanding. They can tell when the sun is shining. They can tell when the flash goes off on your camera without even any noise. Blindness is a challenging way to live. I get it. And it's not simply because blind people have to feel their way through life. But it's because it does all kinds of things. It interrupts your sleep patterns because you don't know if it's daytime or nighttime at times. It's referred to as circadian rhythm disorder. That's what it is. And so people who even work nights, they get out of this rhythm and it messes with their biological clock, if you will. And it's a hard thing to adjust to. Without proper sleep, we are more prone to sickness. We're more prone to disease. It's in our sleep that our body is repairing itself. So it's essential that we get plenty of rest, not only at night when we go to sleep, but it's important that through the day, all the things that we think about, that we don't get over into thoughts because it robs us, it steals our very peace, it steals our rest from us, and again, it makes us more prone to sickness and disease. Now, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you live in total darkness. In fact, you have no light perception whatsoever. That's your world. What an awful thought. But now, I want you to marry that total darkness with total isolation for a moment. Friends, that is a recipe for hallucinations and all types of mental disorders. In November of 2018, a professional U.S. poker player by the name of Rich Alati. you know what he did? He bet $100,000 that he could survive 30 days in total darkness and without the interaction of another human being. He was kept in this small room that carpenters made for him with absolutely zero light. All he had in there was a refrigerator, a bed, and a bathroom. That's all he had. And Rich said on day three, he said the hallucinations began. Here's a man that is sane. He's in his right mind, but he's been living in isolation. He's been living in total darkness now for three days. He said hallucinations began to come. He made imaginary friends. He said one day it looked like white bubbles were floating through the air. Another day he said it looked as though the ceiling opened up and he could see the starlit night hallucinating. He said, I had to keep reminding myself this isn't real or I would have lost my mind. Even with all the resources that Rich had available at his disposal, he didn't last the month. After 20 days of darkness and isolation, he negotiated his release. Natasha Kampusch is an Austrian woman. This woman was kidnapped when she was 10 years old. And for eight years, her kidnapper kept her in a dark cellar and abused her. When she was 18 years old, she found a way to escape. Later in life, Natasha noted in her biography that the lack of light And the lack of human contact mentally weakened her. She said that after she had spent endless hours and endless days in complete isolation, it made her, listen to me carefully, susceptible to her captor's orders and manipulations. Friends, a person will often prefer an abusive enemy over isolation we hate isolation we despise darkness bbc journalist damon rose he lost his eyesight as a child in fact later in life he would have the connecting tissue that connected the backs of his eyes to his brain severed he is totally blind yet he has light perception Doctors have asked him to describe what he sees in his mind. Here's what he responded with one time. He said, right now, I've got a dark brown background with a turquoise luminescence front and center. And then he said, actually, it just changed to green. Uh, Now it's bright blue with flecks of yellow. And there's some orange threatening to break through. The rest of my field of vision is taken up by squashed geometric shapes, squiggles and clouds. He said, I couldn't describe them if I tried to. He said, give it an hour and it will all be different. Do you see what he was attempting to do when he had the tissue clipped? He was trying to get rid of this screen that was playing constantly in his mind. He said, if I try to black out all the distraction by closing my mind, closing my eyes, he says, it doesn't work. It never goes away. On one occasion, Damon was asked what he missed most about not being able to see. He said, my answer is always the same. I miss seeing darkness. Friends, there can be so much activity bombarding our minds that it makes darkness appealing. I told you, I like darkness when I sleep. I don't like it any other time. When I speak of activity, I am talking about primarily negative activity, negative emotions. I would watch my mother time and time again drag the family away from the home and then dragged the family back into an abusive relationship with two of her husbands, my own daddy and my stepdaddy. Why did she do that? Because she was under the delusion that the arms of an abusive man were less painful than darkness and isolation. But Jesus, but Jesus came along. He came along to take us out of the arms of darkness. So that we might be overwhelmed with the light of life. A light that never goes away. A light that delivers us from the dominion of darkness. A light that loves us and rescues us and redeems us and forgives us. That kind of light. A glorious light. Friends, we were not made for darkness. And we were not made for isolation. Darkness And isolation, whether voluntary or involuntary, are awful conditions, yet many people live in these conditions, if not physically. I'm talking certainly mentally and emotionally. These conditions wreak havoc. They recommend life. They desensitize a person to human contact. Jesus came to rescue us from the dominion of darkness. The scriptures tell us that. And then what did he do? He translated us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son that he loves, the kingdom of his Father, the Father who is the Father of all lights. That's what James would tell us. Jesus' brother James would write in James chapter 1 and verse 17, he would say every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down, look at what he says, from the father of lights. In other words, the origin of light, the daddy of light is God, Christ, the Holy Spirit. They come down from the father of lights with whom is no variable, but it's neither shadow of turning. I told you there is no darkness in his kingdom. And we have been translated into his kingdom, the kingdom of the son that he loves Did you know that darkness and isolation were the very condition of the earth when God first created it? You say, Pastor Mark, why would God create an earth that was full of darkness and just isolated? Let's take a look at it. Genesis chapter one, verses one through four. I can tell you one thing. He's not going to leave it like that for very long. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was, look at that word, formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering. That literally means he was fluttering. He was fluttering over the waters. What was he fluttering for? Because he was waiting for God to give the word. He was poised. He was fluttering. He was hovering, the Bible says, over the surface of the deep, over the waters. And I love these words. And God said, let there be light. Come on. And there was light. And God saw the light and he said, it is good. Light is good. Behind our English word formless is the Hebrew word tahu. Here's what it means. It means to lie waste, a desolation of surface, desert, a worthless thing, vanity, confusion, empty place, without form, nothing, wilderness. This is what that Hebrew word tahu means. That's behind our English word formless. The scriptures say that the earth was formless. Millions of people, maybe billions, including believers, have been imprinted with a wrong message and a fictional identity. And as a result, they've been held captive by the darkness. They see their lives as worthless and empty and vain. They stumble through the wilderness of life confused and without purpose. This is because they are walking in darkness of soul. Not their spirit, but in their soul, their mind, their will, their emotions. They are weakened through darkness and isolation and susceptible to their captors, orders, and manipulations. Take a look again at Colossians, verses 13 and 14. Again, it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom. The kingdom of what? The kingdom of light. You don't take a man out of darkness and put him in darkness and say that you've rescued him. No more than a lifeguard would pick up a man in an ocean and then take him back into the ocean again and let him alone. No! He translates him. The lifeguard brings him from water to land. It's a different kingdom, friends. The water is one kingdom. The land is another kingdom. And when Jesus rescued us out of the dominion of darkness, he translated us into the kingdom of the Son. That's himself. The scripture said that God loves. So we're in a different kingdom. We're in a kingdom of light where there is no darkness. We are in Christ in this kingdom where darkness cannot penetrate. Darkness cannot break through. Thieves cannot break in. Rust is not there. Moth is not there. Corrosion is not there. Beautiful. One of the first steps toward being overwhelmed by the light is to realize that there is no condemnation for the believer. When that one truth begins to really stick to your heart, I'm telling you, you will walk away from so much darkness, you won't even realize it was present until you look back and say, golly, I walked in darkness. So one of the first steps is for us to embrace, for us to believe, for us to be reassured by the truth that there is zero condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The captor of darkness loves to manipulate the scriptures and our understanding of God's word so that he can keep us in the wilderness with feelings of worthlessness, emptiness, and confusion. May I remind us that when Jesus began his ministry, the first place that the Spirit of God led him was into the wilderness. It was there, it was there that he triumphed over the enemy and rescued us from the dominion of darkness, isolation, and manipulation. What I want us to see through the message overwhelmed by the light of life is this. We find life in the light of, and fellowship of Jesus Christ. This is where we find life. This is where life becomes worth living. When God turns the light on that there's no condemnation. When God turns the light on that you are eternally secure. When God turns the light on that he's translated you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son he loves. When those realities begin to take root in your heart, then we find light. We find life and we find fellowship with Jesus Christ. When we think about the word overwhelm, we can quickly conclude that this word, it's an adjective, but we can quickly conclude that it can speak in terms of a positive or a negative emotion. It just depends on the source and the content. In other words, it depends on where it comes from and what it delivers. For example, if we are overwhelmed by the faithfulness, and the goodness and the gentleness and the quietness and the honor of God, if we are overwhelmed by the grace of God, if we are overwhelmed by the mercy of God and the life of God and the presence of God, if we are overwhelmed by those virtues of the Lord, would you say with me that that would be a positive overwhelming? Sure, it is. I have been positively overwhelmed. On the other hand, if we are overwhelmed because we are facing a mountain of debt, if we are overwhelmed because of a broken relationship, if we are overwhelmed because of the loss of a loved one, if we are overwhelmed because we've been sick too long, we've been tired too long, and it has a sense of overwhelming to us, that would be overwhelmed in a negative sense, negative emotions. This past week, I made a phone call to a business associate. I hadn't talked to him in quite some time. And when he answered the phone, I greeted him and I said to my friend, how you doing, friend? The first two words out of his mouth were, I'm overwhelmed. And I could tell by the way he said that, that he meant that in terms of a negative sense. In his particular case, he was referring to a stressful time in his life He was referring to a negative overwhelming, the overwhelming that you and I or anybody experiences when we get too much on our plate. How many of you have been there? Come on. If we're not careful, we're there all the time. But when we get too much on our plate, we may not call it overwhelmed, but we understand, we can feel the pressure of being overwhelmed. And when he said that, I said, I get you, friend. I understand you. I identify with you. And then words came out of my mouth that I didn't expect to come out. I said, you know, I said, I think we spend too much time extinguishing fires when we ought to spend more time preventing fires. He said, you know what, you're exactly right. Friends, Smokey the Bear told us to extinguish our campfires, didn't he? But his primary message was about fire prevention, not just putting out fires. And so it is with grace. Grace supplies everything we need for life and godliness and grace prevents the careless ignition Of fires in our souls. I'm talking about the grace that restrains us. I'm talking about the grace that empowers us. I'm talking about the grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. The grace that teaches us that we don't have to hold on to every teaching we learned while we were growing in our Christian faith. There are some teachings that need to go into the campfire, friends. And that's what I have found. If the father speaks to me and says, son, I want you to shed that mentality. I want you to put that mindset into the campfire. It just goes into the campfire and is consumed. Unbridled passions and unhealthy teachings are two of the main culprits that spark emotional fires in the forest of our souls. And unfortunately, friends, many of these fires burn for a lifetime. People don't realize how to extinguish them. Well, it's not done through our own effort. It's done through a revelation of God's goodness. It happens through a revelation of God's incredible and amazing grace. So why all the fires in our emotions? Why all the inflammation in our thoughts? Why all the spark from our tongues? Why does it feel like we are constantly climbing mountains? Why are we relentlessly tired and overwhelmed? Good questions, aren't they? Can you identify with any of them? I'll tell you why. It's because we don't walk in an accurate and complete understanding of the finished work of grace. I'm not saying that's the only reason, but that's the main reason. Grace prevents unnecessary fires in our souls by extinguishing the propaganda and the lies of the enemy. You see, I don't need another fire in my soul. I'm already overwhelmed by the light of life, namely Jesus Christ, the candle of my soul and the light of the world. The truth be told, life can get stressful, can't it? Sure it can. In fact, it can be overwhelming at times. You'll get no argument out of me with that. But what were the instructions of Jesus? What were the instructions from Christ when he said, You're going to find yourselves in these situations, these stressful moments at time. What were his instructions? We find them in John chapter 16 and verse 33. Look what Jesus said. He said, I have told you these things. Look at those words, so that in me. Look, I I made those words bold, in me. Remember, we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness, the dominion of darkness, And we've been translated into the son he loves. We are in him. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you're going to get overwhelmed at times. In this world, it's going to be stressful at times. Jesus wasn't denying that. What was his instruction? He said, but take heart, be courageous take heart, face it head on, he said, for I have overcome the world. Where are we at? We are in Christ. Translated into the Son of God, the one that has overcome the world, the one that, who faced his own opposition at times, the one who knew what it felt like to be troubled at times. His soul overwhelmed at times. In fact, isn't that what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, I'm troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed. So we know that the Son of God faced this. But at the same time, he had a peace that his father would rescue him from the dominion of any kind of dark forces that would come against him. He said, take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, despite these comforting words from Jesus, there's still going to be trials that come along. Those trials will come along and they will overwhelm us at times. Gene, you went through one recently. I went through one. Many of us went through one. That was a trial that tried to overtake us, yet we overcame. Some of these trials are very natural. They work in very natural. They work in very physical ways, such as finances or our health struggles for a lot of people. Other trials work and they overwhelm our emotional realm, such as family. I'm talking about there's nothing that will overwhelm you faster than something messing with the ones you love. I'm talking about relational matters. Many believers have become overwhelmed through the unwarranted, unnecessary responsibility Of devoting themselves to a spiritual maintenance schedule that they believe maintains their right standing with God and keeps their fire from going out. The problem with this belief system is that once you start down the road of self maintenance, it never ends. There's never enough logs. It's never enough. That's the problem going down that road maintaining you. It's never enough. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses 15 and 16, we find these words. The leech has two daughters. You want to know what their names are? Give and give. Kind of like George Foreman's kids, you know? George Jr., George Jr., just right on down the line. The leech, I don't know if you've ever had a leech on your foot or your leg or your ankle. Can I see anybody who's ever had a leech on them? Come on, raise your hands. Never had a leech on you? Oh, you don't know what you're missing. Bob and Treva, I don't know how you've lived that long and not had a leech. You must not have walked barefoot through a creek. I've had some leeches on me, friends. I lived in Virginia, and they, they're not just native of just Virginia. They're all over the place. I've had them in Bloit, Wisconsin, too. But I'm telling you, it doesn't take very long. You can just walk across a narrow creek, and if it's got leeches in there, they'll find you, and they'll adhere to you in a moment. And the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, would say, The leech has two daughters. Give and give. They're parasitic. All they know is they're looking for a host. They're looking for someone they can suck the living blood out of. The leech has two daughters. Give and give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied. Four that never say enough. Here are the four things that are never satisfied. The grave, number one. Never satisfied. It will just say, dig another one. The barren womb is never satisfied. Land that always wants water, never satisfied. And the last one on the list is fire. Fire is never satisfied. It will just keep burning and burning and burning until something puts it out. Never satisfied. Never says enough. Friends, maintaining our salvation isn't an exhausting mindset. A mindset that has to be extinguished. It has to be extinguished. It's a mindset that overwhelms but never overcomes. Jesus said that he had overcome the world. Therefore, we are overcomers. In fact, we are more than conquerors, the scriptures tell us. Maintaining our gift of righteousness makes about as much sense as a prevent forest fire sign in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Just dumb, crazy place to put a sign. Crazy thought that I'm going to maintain my salvation that came as a gift from God. My gift of righteousness that came from Him. Yet so many people are trying to make themselves more holy by the things they do. By their little marching orders. By their little checklist of things. If I could just do this and not do this, I'll be more holy nonsense. You have asked Smokey the Bear to ride on a buoy in the middle of the ocean, prevent forest fires. That's all you've done. We do not throw more wood on our fire in an effort to prevent our salvation from going out. May I remind us that Abraham didn't even use the wood for the sacrifice of his son Isaac. The wood was used for the ram that was coming up the backside of the mountain. The sacrifice of that ram was a type and shadow of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In each case, the lamb would be sacrificed on the wood. Friends, at one time, we all faced a mountain of debt, a debt that overwhelmed humanity. It was the debt of sin, an awful debt, a debt that man couldn't satisfy. Man couldn't chop enough wood to pay this debt. But through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Father has put an eternal flame on the inside of us, a flame that can never be extinguished. A flame that never dies out. It's not a trouble making flame. It's not a flame that requires daily wood. Friends, may I take you back for just a moment to the burning bush, the bush that God spoke to Moses from? And what is it that you remember specifically about that bush? (laughs) I know you're thinking of it, aren't you? That's right, it never consumed. Isn't that interesting? It burned, but it never consumed. And that bush speaks of our relationship with him. He is the source of our flame, the flame that does not consume us when we fail or when we fall short. And through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are overwhelmed by the light of life. In John chapter eight, verses one through 12, we find these words. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Jesus went to church. Do you see that? The pastor has showed up. The shepherd of the church has arrived. People have gathered around him so that he can teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. They said, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. And yes, that was written in the law. You can find it in Leviticus. You can find it in Deuteronomy, maybe another place or two. But it was written in the law. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are very familiar with the law. And so they think they'll just help Jesus out. They said, in the law... Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. It almost looked there for a second like Jesus said, have your way. But it was those words. He said, if any of you is without sin, and in the Greek, it literally means if you have never sinned, ever. We're not talking about if you sinned and then yesterday you sacrificed a heifer and now you feel like you're okay today. It literally meant if you've never sinned, he said, cast a stone at her. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, that's the church, that's you, that's me, that's us, that's we. When Jesus again spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk, shall never walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You see that? How beautiful! Now, just for the moment, okay? I want you to slip off your $300 Jessica Simpson high heels, and I want you to stand in the sandals of the woman caught in adultery. Do you have that picture in your mind? Are you there? Can you see yourself? You don't feel so dressed up now, do you? You don't feel so pretty now, do you? In fact, you may even feel dirty and distant. Well, well, don't be troubled. Because Jesus didn't leave her in that condition and He didn't leave us in that condition either. He brought her close. He brought her up close and personal and He made her clean. Through the cross, He has made you and me Clean and He's brought us up close. He's put us into a kingdom that is full of light. Jesus removed the blood sucking leech and the two daughters from the woman caught in adultery. You see, the law of Moses commanded promiscuous women to be stoned to death, and Jesus' father is the one who gave the law. So it appears as though Jesus is facing a real conundrum. Wouldn't you agree? What does he do? How can he win? Is he going to obey what his father wrote in the law, or is he going to be led by his emotions? Or will he, like an attorney, search for some sort of loophole within the law? Friends, Jesus was dealing with a woman who was bound by devils. She had fallen into a pit. She was living in abject darkness. There was no way out for her apart from following the light, allowing the light to lead her out of this darkness. She had been held captive in the cellar for many years, so many years that she even would risk her life to just live in this darkness. She had never known the light of the gospel, and she was oblivious to the source of love and life. Fortunately for her, Jesus would introduce her to his Father's heart, a heart of no condemnation. I can only imagine in the quietness of that moment, as Jesus wrote with his finger on the ground, that in his heart of hearts, he was appealing to the Father's mercy. I'm talking about the mercy that triumphs over judgment. The conversation may have sounded something like this. Papa, there's going to come a day when the disciples that you gave me are going to say to me, show us the Father. When that day comes, I want to point them back to such a time as this, when mercy triumphed over judgment, a time when light triumphed over judgment, Darkness, A time when love triumphed over lust and a time when a woman who faced the judging stones of adultery was released from her life of darkness and overwhelmed by the light of life. Can you imagine Jesus having some sort of conversation like that in his heart? The scriptures say that Jesus didn't do anything. He didn't say anything. He was listening for the Father. Father, I've not been in this situation yet. What do we do? The law says one thing. I've not died on a cross yet, so the new covenant is not here. So technically, we're still under the law. I'm born under the law. What do we do in this situation? He says, son, mercy triumphs over judgment. I want to ask you a question. Did Jesus break God's law? Of course not. No more than when he healed on the Sabbath, and he was known for doing that, wasn't he? The Sabbath was one of the laws. You couldn't work on the Sabbath. I mean, you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. If we were under the Sabbath, typing in an email to a friend would be considered work, and you would be breaking the Sabbath. You had to cook your food the day before because just cooking, warming up a can of soup would be considered breaking the Sabbath. You see how strict this was? Yet Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. Was he breaking the law of the Sabbath? Because he was healing, he was doing work on the Sabbath? No. He was overwhelming people with the light of life. He was releasing love, releasing God's light, releasing God's kingdom, releasing God's life into people. In Luke chapter 14, verses 3 through 6, we find these words. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, so brilliant. If one of you has a child or an ox and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Why? Because mercy! love preempts everything love is greater than laws and so why would you pull your child out of a pit on the Sabbath that would be considered working love love for your animals so Jesus has really got him here doesn't he if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into the pit on the Sabbath day will you not immediately pull it out look at what the next words are and they had nothing to say Love, light, and life always overwhelms. They are not bound by borders or laws. Love gives voice to them that come to the light. But for them that choose darkness or refuse to come to the light, it leaves them speechless. So let's rewind the account of the woman caught in adultery. What is going on in this story? What in the world just happened? If Jesus would have asked the adulterous woman when she first fell at his feet, if he would have said, how you doing today? Would you like to know what her response would have been? She would have said, I'm overwhelmed. Just like my friend last week, she would have said, I'm overwhelmed. She was overwhelmed with the negative emotions of guilt And shame and fear, yes, and condemnation. It's a recipe for disaster. She was living in darkness, but now she had fallen at the feet of the light of life. She came to Jesus overwhelmed. And she will walk away from Jesus overwhelmed. But it's a different kind of overwhelming. Remember, I said that that adjective overwhelm can serve as a negative or a positive emotion. She came to Jesus overwhelmed, trapped in an insatiable fire of the soul. Her choice of wood was man, but he couldn't satisfy. She came to Jesus with an inflamed mindset and he set her totally free. For years, she had been climbing mountains. She was tired, worn out, burned out. She had no understanding of grace. For her, life was just throw another log on the fire, cook me up some bacon and some beans, you know. She bought into the propaganda and the lies and the song and the music of the enemy that she had to light her own way. She had been robbed and lied to, and left holding a candle without a flame, but that day Jesus would light a candle in this woman's soul, and she would become overwhelmed by the light of life. She walked away that day overwhelmed with positive emotions. The grace, and the kindness, and the love, and the no condemnation of Jesus Christ had lit her way out of darkness. Friends, Jesus didn't take her through a 10-point presentation on how to extinguish fires. Did you notice that? See, we get all fancy, and we want to add all these bullet points of how-tos and whatnot. Jesus didn't do that that day, friends. It was not enough for her to just receive the forgiveness of sins. She had to be conformed to the image of the Son, who is himself the image of the Father. Jesus not only rescued her out of the dominion of darkness, but he translated her into the kingdom of light. It's another kingdom. It's a kingdom that is safe from the powers of darkness. Jesus empowered her with a godliness and a grace to leave her life of sin. That's what he meant when he said, now go and leave your life of sin. He was not putting her under another commandment. He was saying, I am empowering you by my life and by my love and by my light to leave this life of sin. A grace that would teach her to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. You say, how did Jesus empower her? Well, it began by giving her the gift Of no condemnation. And then he translated her into the kingdom of light. Do you remember what he said to her? He said, woman, where are they? Who are they? That's the accusers. Teachers of the law and Pharisees. Where are those religious folks at? He says, has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. I love those words. Don't you let anybody put condemnation on you. When someone tries to put condemnation on you, I'm not telling you to get mean and ugly with people, but on the inside of your spirit, you say, no, one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now. I'm empowering you. I'm equipping you to leave your life of sin. Friends, Smokey the Bear has been giving us good advice for many generations, but the adulterous woman didn't need good advice. She needed a candle in her soul so that it would light her way out of darkness. Many historians, many scholars, they're divided on this subject of this woman from John chapter 8. Some of them, many of them believe that this was Mary Magdalene. I don't know if that's true or not, but we do know that by the scriptures that Jesus cast seven devils out of Mary Magdalene. How do we know that? You say, wait a minute, you, you sure that's in the scriptures? Look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 9. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. So you've got to ask yourself, what kind of lifestyle would you have been living in to attract so many devils? I'd only be guessing here, but I would say that a life of a harlot might open the door for demons. The scriptures tell us that Whomever is forgiven much, loveth much. And Mary Magdalene loved much. Whether that's her or it's not, it doesn't matter. When you are forgiven much, you love much. I think that's why I love him so much, is because I realized how much I was forgiven. A 35-year-old man coming to Christ, who'd been around the block a couple of times, okay? But I had been forgiven much. And I fell in love with the light of the world, the light of life. What did the father of lights do for the adulterous woman that day? He rescued her from the dominion of darkness, overwhelming her by the light of life. And he brought her into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom she found redemption, the forgiveness of sins. John chapter eight, and verse 12 again, look at these words from Jesus. He said, I am am the light of the world he that follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life when the apostle john wrote the gospel that bears his name he reached all the way back to the beginning of time all the way back what did he want us to know right out of the gate what did he want us to see what did he want us to hear What did he want us to perceive right out of the gate? This is his signature book. He wanted us to know that Jesus was with God in the beginning. He wasn't just a man that came along out of Mary's womb, but Jesus was with God in the beginning. He wanted us to know that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. Not separate, but one. John wanted us to know that all things were made by him, Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. He wanted us to see that, friends. John wanted us to see that Jesus is the light of the world and the light of life. And it's in him, it's by him that all things consist. John wanted to put us in memory that light shined in the darkness, the emptiness and the confusion, and that the light was good. Did everyone believe John's report? Does anyone and everyone believe John's report now? Unfortunately not. There are none so blind as those who will not see. My closing scriptures, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Here are those opening words from the Apostle John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Of all the ways John could have started his book, he took us back, and he said, In the beginning was the word, do you notice it's capitalized? Speaking of Christ, he is the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. I love it. In him was life. Life! And that life was the light of men. What kind of light am I talking about? I'm talking about the light that leads the way out of the cellar. The light that even the blind can perceive. The light that rescues us from the dominion of darkness. The light that speaks to those that have been isolated. The light that takes us out of the arms of an abusive relationship. The light that delivers good and perfect gifts from above. The light that overwhelms us with the faithfulness and the goodness and the grace and the love and the acceptance of the Father, that kind of light. The light that delivers the message of no condemnation. The light that empowers us to live a life of godliness. The light that imparts inside of every believer an undying love for Christ. Friends, I never want to try to speak for anybody else but I do like speaking for me. And like the adulterous woman, I have the same testimony. I have been overwhelmed by the light of life. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. The disciples would say to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. Jesus replied, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus' younger brother James would call God the Father of lights. The Apostle Paul would write it in a very similar way when he penned the words, the Son is the image, the exact representation of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the one who rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me ask you a question. How many of our sins were forgiven? That's right. All of them and for all time. There are no sins inside of the kingdom of the son he loves. Friends, the old covenant doctrine comes with side effects. I want you to please read the fine print. It causes hallucinations and other mental disorders. The law will overwhelm you with the never-ending task of extinguishing fires. Old covenant doctrine will take you captive, lock you in the cellar away from the light, the very light that declares your innocence and freedom apart from your performance. I'm talking about the light that removes the feelings of worthlessness and emptiness and confusion The light that speaks into our darkness with a message of no condemnation, no frustration, no isolation, no manipulation, no hallucination, no inflammation, and no desolation, only salvation. That kind of light that speaks into our darkness. Friends, Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into our wilderness as well. It wasn't just his wilderness, it was our wilderness as well. It was there that light triumphed over darkness. It was there that Jesus triumphed over the enemy's orders and manipulations. Do you remember how the enemy tried to order him around and tried to manipulate him? But Jesus triumphed over all of that stuff. Jesus didn't go into the wilderness to fight forest fires. He went there to show us that as a man, as a human being like us, even when we are overwhelmed by the temptation of the enemy, he has empowered us with a grace to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Jesus lived the message he preached when he said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Friends, there are going to be days when we don't feel like we're dressed in righteousness. Days when we don't feel so pretty. Times when we even feel dirty and distant. Occasions when even the religious will pick up stones and come after us. But it's in those moments that I want to remind you that Jesus stood with the adulterous woman to the very end. He never forsook her. If there was anybody that should have been forsaken, it would have been her. Jesus stood with her to the very end. He did away with her condemners and accusers, and he imparted life. And when he had finished his conversation with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, he left them speechless. He then turned to the woman and spoke these words woman where are thine accusers has no one condemned you no one sir she said and he looked at her and he said neither do I condemn you now go I'm empowering you go and leave your life of sin then Jesus turned back to the people that he had been teaching. He turned back to the church and he said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but will be overwhelmed by the light of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I'm so thankful, so grateful for your goodness. All of this truth just laying right under the just surface. It's just there. You don't take deep truths like this and hide them so that we can't find them. We just have to open up our hearts, open up our imaginations, and we can see by the outcome. We can see by the result. We don't need word for word of what happened. We can see your heart of goodness, your heart of no condemnation. And I so thank you for that, Father. I thank you, Father, that Jesus stood and said, I'm the light of the world. But in another part of the Bible, he said, you are the light of the world also. Why? That's because we are in Christ. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and he has translated us into the son you love, that is himself, daddy, where we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want to thank you, Father, that in this kingdom of light, nothing can break in, nothing can break through, nothing gets out, I want to thank you, Father, that we are sealed until the day of redemption. So, Father, we can get dressed up all pretty in our righteousness because our righteousness never fades before you. We are beautiful in your sight at all times. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that mercy triumphs over judgment. Love always wins. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.